0: studying John chapter 15 a chapter that we have entitled Jesus's viability theology and in this first paragraph which we have entitled the paradigm of viability we are looking this evening at the gardener my grandmother's brother my great-uncle Perry was an orchardist That is, he managed an orchard. He would plant the trees. He would develop them. And then he was responsible for the harvest. Now in the Old Testament, God had a paradigm for his people when they would plant trees. When they could take the fruit. At what year they were supposed to take it. The beginning of it was to be a tithe unto the Lord. Now, my Uncle Perry at the time did not know the Lord. But it wasn't until the seventh year that he would begin to harvest the fruit from a tree. He would plant it, and for the next years, he would fertilize it. He would cut the branches back, he would shape it. But he would not take the fruit from it, and he would not let it bear a lot of fruit. Until finally, for the seventh season, he would let that tree begin to bear fruit. By that point, the trunk had developed. It was strong. It was mature. It was large. And it was able to provide abundant nourishment to the branches, the result being heavy crops of fruit. He was known for being an outstanding orchardist. That was his paradigm. As a not-so-side note, when he came to know the Lord, it was a very emphatic transformation in his life. He had never taken his family to church. They had grown up without any concept, any understanding of what it meant to be in church. But that Sunday that followed him coming to faith in Jesus Christ. He said to his family, he said to his sons, which were teenagers at that point, get up, we're going to church. They didn't know how to respond. It had never been part of their lives before. But he said very firmly, get up, we are going to church. He took them to church. And in the same way that he stewarded those trees to bear fruit. He stewarded his family. And those sons and daughters who had no relationship with Christ and no concept of knowing Christ also came to know the Lord and became fruitful trees in that congregation. Now Jesus is going to introduce us this evening to the gardener. The Orchardist. So let's look at this passage we are studying. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So let's keep these words in mind tonight. As we begin to look at what Jesus has said here, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Now, as we've been noting, there are important dynamics that Jesus reveals to us in this passage. He is the vine. His Father is the gardener. Every vine has branches. The purpose of those branches is to bear fruit. This is the principle of fruit-bearing. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And so in that fourth verse, Jesus uses the word remain four times. The work of the Father as the gardener is to prune the branches that bear fruit. Why? So they will be even more fruitful. Tonight, I want to look at the character of the gardener. Now, Jesus does not say anything about the character of the gardener, so why is it important? Jesus simply says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. You know, Scripture is like this beautiful tapestry with thousands and thousands of threads. You can't see where they go, but they come together to form beautiful pictures, beautiful displays. Tonight we are going to look at a number of threads that lead to this truth, I am the true vine, and my Father is the true husbandman. Keep that word husbandman in mind. I've inserted the word true for reasons that you will see as we go along. But very obviously, if Jesus is the true vine, then his Father is the true gardener, or in the word that we are emphasizing tonight, the translation of that word that Jesus uses husbandmen. In Isaiah 62, verses 8-9, we read these words, The Lord has sworn by His right hand and by His mighty arm. Never again will I give your grain as food for your enemies, and never again will foreigners drink the new wine for which you have toiled. But those who harvest it will eat it and praise the Lord. And those who gather the grapes will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. It's a very significant promise. It doesn't begin by simply saying, the Lord says. But we have something much more dramatic and emphatic stated. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and his mighty arm. And then look at the next two words, never again. He repeats them a second time, never again. Jesus said, my father is the husbandman or the gardener. Jesus in his ministry previously told a parable about an owner who planted a vineyard, and he hired husbandmen to tend it and to gain a profit for him, the owner. As Jesus told the parable, the husbandmen turned out to be traitorous. When the owner sent his accountants, they were violent. They beat those accountants. They were covetous of the harvest, taking it for themselves. Jesus wants us to understand that in this paradigm, his father is the true husbandman. The first vine, as we have seen, was planted by the Lord. And that vine, Israel, proved to be a corrupt vine. The husbandmen to whom he entrusted the care of the vine, they were the religious leaders, proved to be traitorous and violent toward the accountants, the prophets. When Jesus told this parable in Mark 12, we read this note that the religious leaders understood that he was referring to them as the traitorous husbandman. Jesus said that finally the owner, who in this parable represents God, sent his son whom he loved and whom the husbandman killed. Now Jesus concluded this parable by quoting from Psalm 118. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. I find it interesting that Jesus has emphasized both verses from this psalm. We find in different places this first verse used. Peter will use it in speaking of Christ as the living stone and you and I as living stones. And we are built upon Christ. The Apostle Paul will speak about Christ the cornerstone But Jesus also quotes this second verse. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. We also remember that this was most likely and is understood to be the psalm that the disciples and Jesus sang as they left the upper room and went to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And remember that Jesus had said to his disciples that evening as they shared the Passover meal, I've looked forward to this day, this time with you. Well, this emphasis on the Lord has done it this very day reminds us of what Jesus said in John chapter 5. My Father is at work to this very day. God is at work. He is at work accomplishing what he has set out to do, what Jesus is revealing through these parables that he's telling, and what the Father has been working on for a very long time. In a passage that is filled with the imagery of vines and fruitfulness, God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah, and God foretold of a time when in contrast to the impending judgment about which he had been speaking, he would do a new work. The days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will plant the kingdoms of Israel and Judah with the offspring of people and of animals. Now note these words. Just as I watched over them to uproot and tear down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring disaster, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days, people will no longer say, the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Instead, everyone will die for their own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, their own teeth will be set on edge. Now remember once again, as we have seen in previous studies, Israel was a choice vine that God planted in His vineyard. But it turned out to be a corrupt vine, and it produced only bad fruit. God warned of judgment, and there came a day when God uprooted His people. He uprooted that vine. But now he declares that there will be a time when he builds and he plants. Now the true husbandman then revealed the exceptional nature of this new work he was going to do. And the Lord continues in Jeremiah, The days are coming, declares the Lord, When I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they all will know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins. No more. Now take note of a couple of things. When God speaks of His relationship with His people, it is always in covenant terms. Terms of full and absolute commitment. Terms of an unbreakable bond. When we speak about this name of the Lord, uppercase L, lowercase o-r-d. As it is rendered throughout the Old Testament, it is a translation, a representation of the name Yahweh, the most holy name of God, so holy that Jews did not speak it. It was the covenant name. And it is this name that God uses to represent the nature of His character. That He is a God of absolute commitment. A God of infinite integrity. When He makes a promise, He doesn't change His mind. He doesn't go back on His work or despite his best intentions, ever fail at fulfilling that promise. He is a covenant God who keeps his word. When he speaks about his relationship with his people, it's always in covenant terms. Terms of absolute commitment. And note that God extends those terms of absolute commitment by calling himself a husband to the people of Israel. Now this is an extraordinary passage. It is one that the writer of Hebrews will quote and declare that this was a testimony. This passage in Jeremiah was a testimony given by the Holy Spirit in reference to the atoning New Covenant work of Jesus Christ, through whom those who believe in Christ are made holy. A new work that was so exceptional that we would be declared holy in Christ, holy through the work of Christ, and on the basis of His work, God would forgive our sins, forgive our wickedness, and remember our sins no more. In John chapter 15 and verse 1, the NIV translates Georgos as gardener. The English Standard Version translates it as vine dresser and the King James Version as husbandman. Now, the word husbandman is an older English word, and it was used to refer to a tenant farmer, a class of people who tended someone else's land. The verb to husband originally meant to till, And to cultivate. Now, over the last couple of weeks, as we looked at Jesus declaring, I am the true vine, and as we look at the work of the Father, we now see God presenting Himself as one who planted a choice vine in His vineyard. That choice vine was Israel. God declared it was of choice stock. And yet, it was a vine that produced only bad fruit. And that vine broke covenant with the one who had committed himself to them as their husband. Now, here the character of the true husbandman shines in glorious brilliance. The husbandman who is fully committed in covenant love to accomplishing his redemptive purposes. Again, consider the backdrop. God was a husband to a choice vine that proved to be corrupt, to a people who would not keep covenant with him, who only produced bad fruit. And yet he declared that he would do a new work, one in which he would build and plant, and that they would enjoy the harvest. Now. God uses marriage language. Remember he declared himself to be a husband. To Israel. And he uses marriage language. In Isaiah 62 verses 4 and 5. No longer will they call you deserted. Nor name your land. Desolate. But you will be called Hephzebah, and your land Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so your builder will marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice. Over you. I encourage you, I urge you. Over the next few days, download these notes from the church website when the podcast is posted tomorrow and study these passages. Look at how God weaves this tapestry. God declares, after Israel has been unfaithful to him, who has been a husband to them, after he, was, after he found it necessary to uproot and tear down this vine that only produced bad fruit, he now declares that he's not going to leave it like this. He is going to plant. He is going to build up. He is going to marry the land. He is going to make a covenant commitment to the land, to the people. It won't be deserted any longer. It won't be desolate and uprooted. The Lord will take delight in you. Your builder will marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. When we begin our study this evening, I said that I've entitled this part The Character of the Gardener because I believe that you and I need to see the character of God. We need to see the character of the one whom Jesus said, My Father is at work to this very day. What has He been doing? How has He been working? The gardener is not just a gardener. He is a husbandman. He has a marital relationship to the land, to the vine that he is cultivating. He is fully committed from before the beginning of time. He did not along the way decide that he was going to do something about our sin. He decided it from before the beginning of the world. Remember the words of Revelation 13 that Christ is the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, that before the creation of the world, God chose us. He adopted us. He predestined us to be forgiven, to be redeemed, to be made holy, to be made blameless in Jesus Christ. The character of the husbandman. He is absolutely committed for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness or in health, even unto death. Because the Father, remember would accomplish this redemptive work through the death of his son. Remember the words from Jeremiah 31, quoted by the writer of Hebrews, that it's on the basis of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that you and I are made holy and that God remembers our sins no more. He is a true husbandman. The Apostle Paul in his discourse in Romans chapters 9 to 11 about the character and the sovereign work of God, has made in chapter 11 several statements that are of infinite significance to us. It is through the failure of Israel that God has brought grace and salvation to the Gentiles. Remember, Israel was that vine of choice stock. God planted Israel in his vineyard, but Israel only produced bad fruit. But it's through the failure of Israel, the Apostle Paul said, that God has brought grace and salvation to those of us who are not the descendants of Abraham, not the stock of that vine, but Gentiles. A second of those infinitely significant statements is the Apostle Paul declaring that if the root is holy, so are the branches. For it is the root that supports the branches. Do you see the imagery here of John chapter 15? Do you see the theological implications of Hebrews chapter 10? It is in Christ and through His work that we are made holy. It is because of his atonement for sin and his righteousness that you and I are declared by our faith in him to be forgiven and to be made holy. Because the root is holy, you and I are made holy. It is the root that supports the branches. The third of those several statements is this one. The Gentiles, who were originally branches of a wild tree, have been grafted into the true tree and are now nourished by its life. Now, when you read that statement in Romans chapter 11, Paul talks about the Gentiles, and the nature of those branches, or the nature of us as Gentiles, and branches of a wild tree. We were by nature, he said, wild. Remember Paul describing our nature when he writes to the Ephesians in chapter 2, that We were by nature disobedient. We obeyed the God of this world. We were by nature object of God's wrath. But he said, when we were dead in our sins, God made us alive in Jesus Christ. We were originally branches of a wild tree. A tree of sin. Descendant from the tree of Adam. Sin was in our nature. Disobedience was part and parcel of who we were. But God grafted us into the true tree. He grafted us into the true vine, Jesus Christ. And you and I are now nourished by the life of Christ. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul to the Colossians Christ, who is your life, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, in words that echo, what Jesus will say to us about the work of the true husbandman. The Apostle Paul admonished the Roman church. There in Romans chapter 11. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will be cut off. I encourage you to look at those words with your Bible open to John chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. God, in his kindness, grafted us into Jesus Christ. Once we were not a people, now we, the pe- now we are the people of God. The Apostle Paul said, once you were far off. You were outside of the covenant. You were without the promises of the covenant. And you were without hope. But now he has brought you near through the blood of Jesus. And he has reconciled you in Christ. God has shown us his kindness. Kindness that comes from a heart of covenant love. Kindness that comes because he is the true husbandman who is fully committed to his redemptive work. And through the work of Jesus Christ, he has grafted us in. Hear the words of Jesus. Remain in me as I remain in you. Because no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Jesus will speak of the work of the husbandman. The true husbandman, his father, who prunes every branch that bears fruit so that it will bear more fruit. But every branch in him that does not bear fruit, he cuts off. Consider, therefore, the kindness and the sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will be cut off. So again, in summary here, Because of the covenant love of the true husbandman, you and I, branches of the wild tree, have by grace been grafted into the true vine, whose life has made us holy. Therefore, you and I must take care that we remain in Him, that we remain deeply in Him. It is by grace we have been saved. Nothing of ourselves. The commitment of the true husbandman grafted us in to His true vine. There was no other way that we could be saved. And it was only through the work of Christ that he could make us holy, that he could extend grace to us, that he could redeem us. This salvation is not to be taken for granted. This relationship is not to be minimally maintained. Just as Jesus was deeply connected to his Father, I remain in him, he remains in me. So you and I must be deeply connected to Jesus. The Father will be examining us to see if we bear fruit. The Father will be examining branches that don't bear fruit to cut them off. Oh, dear friends, this is such a glorious work of salvation. The character of our true husbandman, the one who has fully committed himself in love to us, that at the greatest cost, he would send his son to redeem us from our sins so that he might extend to us forgiveness, and declare us holy. Oh, the character of God. No wonder the Apostle Paul ends Romans chapter 11 by declaring how unsearchable is the wisdom and the ways of God beyond finding out that the true husbandman would have such love for you and I. But here we are tonight, grafted into his one and only, the true vine. Oh, may our hearts rejoice tonight in this love. And may we want nothing else except the life of Christ. It is only his life that can make us holy. It is only his life that can sustain us. May you and I hunger and long for more of his life. Amen. I said to you last week that there are so many truths that Jesus has spoken that connect to his declaration, I am the true vine. As you and I look at these truths that we've studied tonight, and then we look next week at the work of the true husbandman, how he examines the branches, his criteria for either pruning or cutting off, You and I find that there are so many truths in Scripture that come to this juncture. Like Jesus telling the parable about the sower and the seed. The different types of soil. What kept the seed from producing fruit? What kind of harvest he was looking for? And then the words that if you don't understand this parable, you don't understand anything about the kingdom of heaven. Or the words of the writer Hebrews that land upon which the seed has been sown that never produces the kind of harvest that it should, but only produces thorns and thistles, such Ground is suitable only for being burnt up. Oh, may you and I never drink in the goodness of God's grace and of his kindness without producing fruit. But having been grafted into the true vine, may our prayer be, Father, prune me. I want to know only Jesus. I want my life not to be drawn to any other source. Only Jesus. So prune me. Holy Spirit, work in me. Reveal the worth and the value to Jesus so that I don't put my eyes on myself. I don't set my heart on anything else. It is only Jesus, and it is all Jesus. Father, thank you for the riches of your grace. Based on the merit of Jesus Christ, your heart of covenant love, your willingness to pay, the price of the death of your Son, so that you might graft us in. We might become holy and acceptable in your sight. Our sins might be forgiven, remembered no more. And we might have this glorious future in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. We pray tonight that we will not forget the greatness of your kindness the riches of your grace. What you are looking for in those that you graft in, that our highest honor and the greatest worth of our lives is to prove ourselves to be followers of Jesus Christ by allowing you to work in us so that we bear much fruit to your glory. May our hearts be fully set on Jesus Holy Spirit we invite you through this week work in us convict us speak to us about the areas of our lives that we are being unattentive to the minimal way in which we might be following Christ speak to us if we are neglecting our relationship, if we are not making every effort to draw near to Jesus, to make this grafting our calling and election sure, Holy Spirit, convict us. Probe us. Prod us. Inspire us. Motivate us. Fill us with hunger and thirst for the righteousness, the life of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for this incredible covenant love that has motivated you as the true husbandman to graft us in to the true vine. May we remain in Jesus. And long for his fullness to be in us. I pray in his name. Amen.